0: Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In episode 22, we talk about content strategy and more with Ed Marsh of the Content Content podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Content Strategy Experts podcast. I'm Gretel Kinsey, and I'm a technical consultant with Scriptorium. And today we have a special guest, Ed Marsh. So Ed, go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Hey, everyone. Uh, Hey, Gretel, how are you today? I'm doing great. How about you? Great. This is weird being on the other side of the podcast interview. so This is going to be uh, a new experience for me. But um, for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Ed Marsh. I've been a technical communicator and content strategist and e-learning developer uh, at AL since about uh, 1994, which is odd to say out loud. About four years ago, I think now, I started the Content Content Podcast. Actually, I started first, let's say. I started a website called contentcontent.info because, first of all, I was lazy. And second of all, I wanted to give back to the techcom community. So that's an aggregator. It's an aggregator of websites in content strategy and usability and design and technical communication. So that's out there. That's a collection of different, about 50 different RSS feeds in one place. And then kind of an outgrowth to that. I started podcasting about four years ago, um, and it was something I got into because I wanted to get myself out there a little bit more. I wanted to get my name out there more. Uh, Again, I wanted to give back to the community, and um, I had some uh, radio experience back in college, and I knew um, that I didn't want to blog all the time. Everyone was doing that, and I wanted to do something kind of different, and I didn't want to come home and write all the time. So um, not many people were doing podcasts at that time in tech comm or content strategy. Um, Our friend Tom Johnson was one of the ones who's doing it and he was doing it kind of infrequently. So uh, I found a niche and I started that and it's been uh, an amazing amount of fun and I cannot believe, um, you know, I've had the fortune to talk to some great people, learn from a lot of great people. Um, So yeah, that's that's basically my podcast side and for my day job, because I don't do enough, I'm a tech writer at Goldman Sachs.
0: All right. And uh, I wanted to kind of take a step back because the first thing I wanted to know was how you did get into podcasting because it's kind of, uh-huh. like you said, on the other side of it, this is kind of a, a fun discussion where we have you know, one podcaster to another. So this is pretty <laughs> cool. Um, so were there any kind of influences for you as far as podcasts go, things that you like oh, to God, listen yes. to that made you want to do your own?
1: Yeah, for sure. I listened to... Uh, A lot of different podcasts for a long time. I commute on the train, so it's always a great opportunity to listen to podcasts. Um, And I used to listen to This Week in Tech, which is Twit, uh, which is on the Twit network, which is Leo Laporte. He's a very famous podcaster, has a huge network of podcasts. Uh, There was also another one called um, Back to Work with Dan Benjamin on the 5 by 5 network. I really like those guys. And they also – they. The thing that they had was they all sounded very professional, and I knew that if I was going to do this, I wanted it to sound good. Because uh, I've had some podcasts where I've unsubscribed from simply because they just didn't sound good, and I couldn't listen to them for any length of time. So production mattered to me, and I really wanted to have something that you know represented me and represented my brand, um, and was you know was consumable by the tech comm community. So that's really where I was going with that. I think those two were the big ones. Just really anything kind of that sounded really nice and sounded well-produced was what I was kind of going for. Of course, I'm a little bit of perfectionist, so it cuts into my uh, production time.
0: Oh, I understand that completely. I think I think a lot of us in this field tend to be perfectionists, which is which oh, is God. a good thing when yeah. it comes to content strategy.
1: <laughs> Sometimes I just got to release it, though.
0: And you, you said that uh, you had some background in radio, so I kind of wanted to ask about that, too, and sort of what influence that may have had when it comes to podcasting, especially maybe getting that professional quality sound and set up?
1: Well, yeah, I did. I was in college for two years down at Elon College, which is now Elon University in North Carolina, not too far from you. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I did two years of radio there and I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. Um, so I had that little bit of experience and I was also a journalism major. So that kind of fell into the interviewing side of the podcast, I think. So uh, really, I think that's the, the influence there was they kind of dovetailed into what is now internet radio or podcasting
0: that's interesting because i actually majored in journalism as well i was at unc chapel hill here in north carolina Mm. and i I did a lot of multimedia and video production so that's kind of where i got my interviewing skills and it's Mm. been really helpful i think for podcasting too and really interesting how uh you know kind of I've talked to a lot of people in this industry who say they sort of stumble into the world of content by accident. And I I know (laughs) that's certainly true for me, uh, but I've absolutely loved all of it. And I wanted to use that as a way to get into how you uh, first kind of got into this whole world of content. And did you sort of stumble into it by accident as well? Or was it more intentional? That's one of
1: the awesome things about my podcast is interviewing people and finding out you know, how their stories are, how they, cause no one has the same story. And, there, and a lot of people, like you said, have come from different careers and fell into it. And I also fell into it. I was looking for journalism jobs and, um, an opportunity came up. I think I was interviewing for a temp job for something completely different. And, uh, the recruiter who was down there was in Central Jersey uh, was like, hey, you know, it looks like you might be good for this technical writing position. I'm like, I have no idea what the hell technical writing is, but it looks like it pays well. <laughs> so so that, yes, that, that sounds good. Um, so I started as what they called a technical writing assistant. It was a new position. Um, and I kind of grew into the tech comp thing. I really fell, you know, I didn't like Xyrite back then. For those of you who have ever worked with Xyrite, I was not very happy with that. But as the technology evolved, I was really, I really enjoyed it. I always the kind of person who liked to push buttons when I was a kid and see what everything did and see, you know, what happened. So I think that kind of is was well, the impetus, too, for me being good at, at this. And I also had the technical side of it, I think. I learned HTML really early um, and CSS really early. I was working in Flash. So I think it was just um, I was in, the, I guess, the right place at the right time. And um, it was, it's been a great opportunity. And here I am 23, 24 years later. Uh, and I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. So it's awesome
0: that is awesome And then where did you get an interest specifically in content strategy during the course of that time?
1: I think it just all dovetails into it I you know there's uh, we do all online content so everything is organized and we're the people doing the organization so I think it just it all just came to me at the same time Arch- information architecture which I really enjoy as well it's just thinking about, how people are going to use this and all the different ways that you can use it and make efficiencies in your processes and figure out, you know, with a, like, for example, with the podcast. Okay. I've got it. So it automatically, so when I post a podcast, it automatically goes to Twitter, it goes to LinkedIn, it goes to uh, Facebook, it goes to, um, couple different other places too so you've got to think about that is how you know what this where your content is going and how people are going to access it and I think that's what people need to think about is how are they going to access it and how much they want to access at one time so I really you know I think it kind of like I said it kind of all dovetailed into well I do this and I do this and I do this and it, it's all part of the experience
0: and how would you say that content strategy helps you when it comes to promoting your podcast, getting it out there, and growing it,
1: well, that's an that's, <laughs> it's an interesting uh, thought because if you go um, and you go to Alexa, and I hope I don't trigger anyone's uh, "Lady in a Tube," but um, <laughs> if you say, you know, "Lady in a Tube," play content, content podcast, it's like I can't find that. Here's the Content Strategy One or Content uh, Marketing Institute podcast, or whatever. So. You know that's that was one of the side effects that you think about content strategy, it's Like, well, how is this going to get used in the future? Perhaps. Well, I, you know, when I started the brand, per se, because it was one of the few URLs I could find. Um, you know, it's like I was never thought I was going to do a podcast. It was just this thing I wanted to play around with. And now, you know, you've got to think about. Okay, it's not just a website. It's going to be maybe a snippet in Google or. Um, somewhere on SoundCloud or on, you know, different places and how people are going to interact with it has changed so much with the voice activation that and phones and watches and tablets and everything that you really have to do that, that thought of the whole picture, instead of just, we need to create a manual or we need to put out a PDF or, you know, we need to update a single page kind of thing. So that's the big picture thing that I think people need to think about too.
0: And uh, I know that you've had all kinds of different guests from the content industry on your podcast. So I wanted to get an idea of what kinds of words of wisdom that you may have gleaned from some of them and sort of the best tidbits that you might have gotten.
1: Well, you know, one of the best ones, I think, and I, I wrote it. Here it is. Um, what is interesting was one of the last ones I did with uh, Liz Fraley, who is a friend of mine, Um and, you know, one of the things she wrote, she wrote a follow up blog post to it. And she's like, you know, it's funny how much you realize you don't know when you get really get the chance. And, I, you know, I thought about that. I'm like, you know, it's as you get older, I guess, and you say, you know, you more know, you know what you don't know kind of thing. So I think that was part of it. And just learning for me, you know, I think it was just learning about people and how we're all going through the same stuff. And no matter what the industry, I've had, I've had content marketers, I've had content strategists, tech com, you know, different kinds of people. And they are. We're all doing the same thing and fighting the same fight. I think. Um, so words of wisdom, I don't know. It was just, I guess, take a chance because I didn't know what I was getting myself into when I did this podcast, and I it's it's been great. You know, and I'm having so much fun, and it's actually led to um, another podcast gig that I'm doing with the LavaCon conference. So um, you know, take a chance. I guess get yourself out there. I guess is really the best thing, and and talk to people and network because it's 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 if you know if you can get yourself out there and talk to people, it's a hell of a lot of fun talking to them.
0: And I really, I'm glad you mentioned LavaCon, because that was also something I wanted to talk about, because we actually recently were both at LavaCon in Portland toward the end Mm. of 2017. And I know that there were a lot of great discussions there. Uh, That conference had a theme of spanning silos, building bridges, which is something that I've seen kind of more of a need for when it comes to content strategy. There's there's sort of this move connecting and making these mm. bridges across from one silo to another. Because uh, I, I know that the issue of silos has kind of always been a problem in content as long as I've been mm. in the industry, which was since 2011. And uh, it's kind of interesting how it's evolved uh, different solutions that people put forward to solve that kind of problem of content existing in different silos, either by department or by tool or whatever. Uh, So I kind of wanted to ask what your take on that is.
1: Great question, because I'm working on this just right now at Goldman. And, you know, at Goldman, content isn't their forte. But like you're saying, all these silos, like all these teams have their stuff in A network drive or in a SharePoint or they're distributing it via email every day and that's really not the best way to do that and not the best way to share information so really what we're doing now is we're talking with all the different teams uh in our in our space and saying hey you know instead of having that trapped in in the SharePoint and have that Word doc up there that's not been updated for 15 years you know let's put it in in our knowledge what we call the knowledge bank and um you know, and put it all together, and then it's, it's governed, which people really like in, in, in uh, regulated environments. If you talk about governance, they really, really like that. Um, you know, we have it backed up in our source control system, um, you know, and we have it so that way we can audit it and say, hey, this topic hasn't been reviewed in X amount of time. Why don't we send out an email or why don't we talk to the people who use this and see if it needs to review? So, um, you know, then on top of that, you have analytics. You could say, hey, you know, these are the things that people are hitting. And, um, you know, this is the things that people are searching for. This is stuff that's not performing. And why isn't it performing? Because, you know, two big things that I found with these silos and getting everyone together is, especially with senior management, is talking about data and numbers, because that's what they understand, and also the concept of governance. So if you start talking about those two pieces, and um, if you're looking into governance, Lisa Welchman does a great workshop, and she has a book out that I haven't read, but she's a fantastic person on governance to talk about, or talk to, or listen to on Twitter. Um, So I think those are the big things, is the governance side of it, and... um, actually the content aggregation of it, too, because, you know, you can put it all together and leverage that content, and you may never know what teams may find it. Like, we found teams that we had no idea would be using our stuff is using our stuff as a reference, so um, sometimes it happens organically, and you don't even realize it.
0: That is true. I know there are some cases where we have worked with clients where maybe there will be two departments that say, I know that... Our two teams both need to share the same set of content, and then once they start doing that, another department will jump in and go, oh, I didn't realize it, but I should be involved in this kind of thing, too. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of one way that I've seen the idea of centralization grow organically. Um, When it comes to doing more of a kind of bridging approach, I've seen it happen in cases where centralization is something that they want, but is not necessarily practical. So for example, if you've got a marketing team that really, really needs to share content with the tech comm department, but they just cannot, for example, go into something like DITA because they need Mm. way too much design control. That's where this idea of kind of, let's see if we can build a connector between our systems or push them to a portal or some kind of solution like that has sort of helped solve this silo problem but it's interesting how it continues to be an issue in content I think I've seen it be an issue and kind of get resolved in all kinds of different ways throughout my career and I'm sure you have too
1: well yeah I mean the thing is you can't stop people from creating content but you can do the best job you can to organize it and edit it and make it consistent and make it accessible and I think that's you know that's uh, where we can play a role and have value as technical communicators and content strategists. It's okay, you know, let's try to do something consistent at least, or let's get this all in one place so that way the people who are the professionals in content are handling it correctly.
0: So while we were at LavaCon, there were all kinds of presentations I saw that related to the idea you brought up earlier about sort of changing technology and how we have to evolve our content strategy along those lines. So Mm. I wanted to know if there's anything interesting that you saw or that you learned at LavaCon that you kind of have brought back either to your podcasting work or to your day job.
1: Well, um, I learned a little bit more about XSL from the Oxygen folks, which I needed. So that was good. Um, You know, I, there was so much, I you know, so much, and you're processing, and it was just, you know, I can't think of anything in in specific. Everything was so inspiring. Um, I will say that the morning workshop um, with Ashita Grover on a, on management really, um, it was a nine o'clock in the morning session, I think, on a Sunday, and um, I got thrown into the middle of it, and I was like, whoa, this is not what I was anticipating, but. Um, you know, I ended up doing a pretty good job, and it was about management, and I'm a, I'm a, I am I'm, have a new hire who I'm managing now. Um, so it was perfect for me at that time to have a three-hour workshop with Ishida, um and learn from her about management and realize, okay, you know, if I can, you know, I can kind of do this. It kind of gave me some confidence to say, okay, I can go back and do this as a new manager with a new hire who's, you know— just a few years out of college, so you know it was really for me that was the nice one. And of course, it's the networking, and you know I think you hear that more and more now about conferences. Is that the sessions are great, and of course Jack has a Jack of LavaCon has a great conference. He has a great line of a people, um, you know. So I think that it's the networking on the side that is that is as important as the sessions in there. and the keynotes. I think really that's where you get to talk to people and you get to know people and that's what the social events are for I think too because it lets you relax a little bit. You're not so tense and you're not, you know, you're not putting your guard up. So, if you can get to a conference and especially if you go to Labacon cuz oh my god, the food's amazing. Um, you know, make sure that you take the time and not just go ha- back to your hotel room between sessions or or after 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 the session, after the day is over because you know, that's when you miss the good stuff and that's when you make those friendships. And, you know, I've met so many people in person at conferences that I, I knew for Twitter only for years. So um, for me, it's the networking part of it. That's, that's pretty huge for conferences.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's to me, the the most valuable part of going to any conference is that FaceTime that you have. Uh, I think that's where I learn just as much, if not more than I do in the sessions. And it's also where I kind of really get to see if some of the sort of trends or patterns in the industry that people are predicting are actually true because the people who come to the conference come by and talk to us either like sort of at our booth when we're exhibiting or just in the hallway afterward when we hear about what kinds of challenges that they're facing what kinds of problems they're having with their content from someone who's really out there in the world dealing with it that's where we kind of get the, the better sense of what's going on in the world of content and then we can kind of look at that and say what sorts of strategies are people going to need just based on what kinds of things we're seeing in the industry
1: right and I, I mean the kind of thing is and i went to content marketing world two years ago and you know it was a lot of the same questions and a lot of the same problems you know having trouble proving our value or having a problem getting budget or this or that you know so yeah i mean it's You know, I think part of the conference at LavaCon this year was finding your tribe. And really, that's what this is. It's finding your tribe and finding your and being with your people. I mean, for me, I'm working a really large company and there are very few tech writers. So I don't have that outlet or I don't have that uh, resource internally. So you go outside and find, you know, your community and, you you know, you can find them as simply as looking up on Twitter or LinkedIn and then meeting them live at the conference is it makes it easier to meet people if you already kind of know them online.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that idea of finding your tribe is some of the best and most important advice particularly for anyone who's coming into this industry new. And you're mm. trying to say, it, especially because you know, sort of how we talked about earlier, a lot of people do come into the content industry by accident or sort of, you know, they're, they don't, right. a lot of us don't know that it exists really until you get your foot in the door some other way. And then once you realize that this industry is here, then it's kind of this question of, well, how do I find my tribe? Because I just sort of stepped into it completely by accident. And now mm. here I am and what should I do? But I think that, that what you said, networking, getting to know people, and sort of figuring out how this entire content industry works is kind of the first step toward doing that and finding your tribe.
1: Yeah, and I actually wrote a blog post about this after Summit, because that's where I really felt like, oh, this is my tribe. I've been to conferences, but I'd never been to STC Summit before. And it was like, oh, these are my people. So, you know, and I wrote a big, I wrote a blog post on my website at edmarsh.com, um, so you, you can go take a look at it there. Um, And it got pretty good. It got pretty good hits, but it was, you know, it was that was like, oh, okay. These are the people that I'm supposed to be hanging out with, and these are the people who are my friends now. And this is, uh, I feel included, and I feel welcome, and it's a great, supportive community and a very diverse community, which is what I like about it too.
0: So, what all, uh, what all have you learned? What lessons have you learned from your podcasting experience that you would uh, pass on to other podcasters? have fun,
1: you know, get yourself some good equipment, have fun, because, you know, if what you're doing is an interview show, you want your guests to have a good time and you want the people that are listening to to come back and have a good time as well. When I started podcasting, everything was like scripted and you can tell, like you listen to it and you could tell it my questions. And I did a lot of preparation and I still do a lot of prep, but now it's, you know, I get a couple of bullet points. I, I Google the people and I get to know them a little better. And then I'd let it flow. And those are so much better. And it's like less pressure on me to kind of make sure that I get all my questions in and and don't sound like I'm reading it off a piece of paper. The nice thing about podcasting is it's cheap to get into. I started with a cheap mic and free software called Audacity, which I still recommend my guests download to listen. So that way they can record their end of the audio. Um, I learned that it was taking me it's taken me further than I thought it was going to I thought it was going to be this podcast but you know it led to an opportunity with Labacon and uh, I believe that it was kind of the influence for the scriptorium podcast so that was pretty cool um, and really it's just you know it's it's taught me that people are pretty cool so that's I guess the important thing um, especially in our industry people are fun uh, they like to have a good time they they know their stuff and um, it's just been a really, real cool experience to be able to do this and to give back to the community.
0: So do you have any other kinds of uh, advice, not just with the to of podcasting, but when it comes to the content industry that you would give to someone who's entering into it for the first time? Or perhaps to uh, the person that you mentioned that you're managing now, someone in that position?
1: Well, uh, you know it's interesting because if you're ever on Reddit, there's a great subreddit called R, uh, called technical writing, and every day, practically every day, there's people up, out there. Um, hey, I'm I'm an ex. How do I become a tech writer? Or is tech writing for me and that kind of stuff? And you know, I mean, read. You know, there's a lot of good books out there. That's how I started with everything. You know, the, the Polar Bear Book, uh, Information Architecture for the World Wide Web, um, Content Strategy by Rahel Bailey and Nazarbina. Um, you know, and and get yourself out there. I think a lot of us are head down and we think, our job is just to write all day, and it's really not. A lot of it is customer service. You know, how quickly can you respond to questions, or how quickly can you update stuff, or you know, we're not just tech. We're not just writers anymore. You can't just be a person in a cube with a copy of Word or a copy of FrameMaker and make a living. You've got to get and look at the bigger picture. Uh, take a look at the data on anything that you have and get yourself, you know, promote yourself because unfortunately, no one's going to do it for you. So you know, make sure that you have that that senior management thought in place. Okay, who are the people that are paying your paycheck? What are they going to see? Are they going to see that you're writing? 50,000 words a day. Are they can't really care about that or they care about how many hits your site's getting and you know if the support tickets are going down. So look at the governance side of things. Look at the, the governance and the data side because I think that's really where people can show their value and get out there and network. I didn't network as soon as I did as I should have. and I really should have done that sooner in our industry. Um, so I think, you know, getting to conferences, even if it's a small one or a local one, or even a local right to docs meetup, just get out there and talk to people. Um, you'll find it refreshing and you'll get some good ideas that you can bring back to your job and even, you know, whatever you're doing on the side. So, you know, don't be afraid to put yourself out there and make mistakes and learn from them. And then you never know.
0: Fantastic advice. I think not just for this industry, but for everyone so thank you so much ed marsh for joining us on the podcast and uh where can we find more of your stuff
1: that was a real pleasure i don't know if i made any sense but it was nice not having to watch <laughs> and control everything of the f- recording so that was kind of nice so thank you gretel um you can find me at edmarsh.com. you can find the podcast at edmarsh.comslash slash podcast uh you can subscribe all with pretty much everything at this point um You can also go to contentcontent.info, which is a site I mentioned earlier, which is a news aggregator for our fields. Um, And I'm always on Twitter at Ed Marsh. I'm probably on Twitter a little bit too much. Um, And of course, on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. You can find me at edmarsh.com. And you can find me at Ed Marsh on Twitter.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gretel. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links.